just by uh, way of recap, last week we started a new series on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And uh, you'll see from the, the slide, it's a bit corny, you can see a big N there, because Genesis means beginnings. Okay? And uh, it's always a good sign when I get booed, by the way, it encourages me. It's the same with James that I tell. Uh, you remember, because the children were in, we had that very unfair game where we had to build a tower with the building blocks, but one of the boxes was empty. So um, that, that team lost, I'm afraid, because actually we were learning that when God spoke, he created the universe out of nothing. Wow! How awesome is that as a statement in Scripture? You remember the, the uh, mnemonic, uh, which was acre, um, announce, command, result, and evaluate. Here it is. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And it was good. The uh, structure that we'll go back to again next week when we look at Genesis chapter 1 and how it's laid out. This repeated pattern of God speaking and things coming to being by the power of his mighty word. Well, I want to begin this morning with a presupposition. And uh, I'm going to open the prayer and then I'm going to look at the different approaches towards creation and evolution. So we're not really bouncing through the passage at all this morning. But the presupposition which affects uh, pretty much our attitude to everything in life, I would think, even if we've never really thought about it, is this. Uh, the fact that there are only two basic worldviews concerning the origins of the universe. This is, um, it's, none of these are new ideas, so I've cribbed them all. But I do agree with this one, so it'll be interesting to talk about it afterwards. The first one, the worldview that is, is that everything is a result of a cosmic accident. And the second worldview concerning the origins of the universe is that everything is the result of some kind of cosmic design, that there's a creative power behind creation, if I can put it that way. Now the first, that the universe happened by chance, is, I think, the prevailing view basically taught in most of our schools. Uh, it's a view propagated by the West, uh, certainly in the media, um, in our own country, well-known atheists such as David Attenborough, Blue Planet, uh, Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion, uh, Professor Brian Cox, I was going to say stargazer, he's an astrophysicist, isn't he, a musician. Um, they're outspoken in the media, but I think, sadly, and I, I don't know where this is coming from, but there also seems to be a kind of negative agenda to it. They're not just saying what they believe, but a kind of anti-religion, certainly, or anti-religious worldview in their views. Strange, isn't it, when the theory of evolution is just that? It's a theory. And scientists are supposed to test theories. Um, second view, uh, which is basically intelligent design, it doesn't have to be the Christian view of creation. The Christian view of creation is revealed to us in Scripture. That's where we get it from. There are other ancient Babylonian creation stories, um, if you want to look them up, and so on. But it does have a view that there's some kind of intelligent design 
behind the universe. It's the old watchmaker illustration. So if I was to um, take you into an empty room and there in the middle of the room, just all on its own, was this really intricate sort of clock or watch with all the workings sort of exposed. And it was keeping perfect time. And you said to me, wow, that's amazing. Where did that come from? So I, I don't know, I think it just happened by chance. <laughs> came into the room one morning, it was just there. You know, uh, I don't know where it came from. You, yeah, come on. Even if it's just been set up and it now keeps perfect time, you go, really? Surely somebody put that together. Somebody really creative. Well, uh, there are views on both sides, so uh, that's the watchmaker illustration. Either one of these two beliefs, and this is really the only point I'm making, this presupposition that maybe we've not even thought about, but pervades our society. Either one of these two beliefs actually affects everything else in our lives. Certainly the big first order questions. What are we here for? Well, I don't know if we all just came together by chance and we're a collection of molecules and atoms. I don't really know what we're here for. We're just here by chance, aren't we? Um, is there any point to life? Is there a purpose of meaning to my existence? Uh, what happens to us when we die? You know, there are different answers depending on what your worldview is. So let's pause for a minute. I'm, I'm brain tired already. <laughs> uh, you're going to work hard with Genesis 1 to 11, I promise you. Uh, but let's pray that God will help us to develop that kind of first hand faith of our own as we wrestle with some of these subjects. And uh, maybe that we'll have a, a reason for the hope that is in us. We won't just sort of feel battered and browbeaten by the secular worldview, as it were. So let's pray. Father, well, I do pray that uh, looking at these early chapters of Genesis will be helpful to us. We thank you that you speak to us through your word, uh, revealed to us in scripture. And we pray that over these weeks and this morning that you will challenge us and encourage us uh, to uh, have a reason for the, the hope that is in us, to understand more of the issues that are involved. But supremely, Lord, to go from here to live for you. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Yeah, no, there's no more slides. I can put that away from it. Unless the music starts again. <laughs> in which case, uh, I apologise now. The Christian approach to creation and evolution. Right, that's where we're at this week. It's one of those subjects where Christians disagree. And that's okay. If I can start by saying that. We're called by Jesus to live in unity uh, with one another. That's how people know that we're his disciples. We're not called to be all the same. So as long as we're respectful, of course, uh, we'll have different opinions uh, and so on. But as long as we listen to those, I, I think it's healthy that we develop our own beliefs from opening the scriptures ourselves not what other people have told us we should believe. Uh, personally, I think the scriptures can stand up to rigorous interrogation. I think the Bible's worldview makes sense of the world as I see it. It's one of the reasons I came to faith myself, um, having questioned questions, uh, that it actually started to make sense to me, and I realized the questions were just a smokescreen.
So here we go. Listen to these uh, different approaches and um, see which ones you identify with. So I'm just want to check something. Yeah, very good. That's all right. There's a song after the sermon, I don't mind. Good. Right. So the first view, Christian view, is what I would call harmonisation. Uh, listen to the view, see what you think about it, see if you agree with it, you might ask for a show of hands, that kind of thing. So harmonisation is an attempt to harmonise science with religion. Uh, so an example of that is that the sun had to exist before the earth could bring forth life. You know, there's little lichen that you get in rocks in North Wales. That kind of life that makes oxygen, that makes everything elsewhere. Uh, in other words, Day one has to happen before day three. There's a harmonisation there. We kind of make sense. So harmonisation recognises that Genesis chapters 1 to 11, it may contain scientific and historical information. It recognises that Adam and Eve, for instance, could be real people. But we don't want to take these chapters literally. Uh, and so we say things like, the Hebrew for day, could also mean an age or a period of time, not just a 24-hour period. There's no conflict with science, in other words. The two views are harmonised. Okay, right, quick show of hands. Who, who thinks that's their view? Who's going to kind of agrees with that? Okay. So that's maybe uh, a quarter or a fifth. Okay, right. And those of you who are not voted Browning will find out at the end. <laughs> Harmonisation. In favour of it, it attempts to take God's word seriously whilst accepting the value of scientific discovery. So that's in favour of it. Uh, the danger is you can end up fitting the Genesis account into whatever the latest science is. You know, we're always making new scientific discoveries. And certainly in the, the Enlightenment, this is the big mistake the church made. Uh, so you ended up saying, when we discovered something, oh, well, that's not God anymore. But God's done all these things that we don't know about yet. And then we discover something else and say, oh, well, that's not God anymore. But God still, you know, does. And it, it's called the God of the gaps. In other words, the more we discover, the less we accredit to God. And it's a danger. And what we should do is accept Scripture as God's revelation to us, as, you know, as Christian believers, I mean, it's a Christian viewpoint. Uh, not allow science to tell us what the Scriptures mean. So you don't let science interpret Scripture. It should be the other way around. So that's just a danger. Okay. Second view, still with me? Creationism. Now, see if you agree with this one. I'm asking for more hands. Creationists have a high view of Scripture. They take it literally as God's Word to us. They often back it up with a detailed knowledge of why the science might be wrong, or at least not the whole picture. Now, creationists also have a high view of God. Of course God can make the earth in six 24-hour periods. He's God. 
By definition, he could do that. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. That was beyond his power. So nobody's denying that. Creationists have a high view of God. But then you get this, you know, they add up all the generations and the ages of all the people who are mentioned in the Bible. And it only goes back 4,800 years. And then they say things like the half-life of the, the um, isotope that they use for carbon dating is actually flawed. And um, the Earth isn't as old as it appears to be, and things like that. So don't worship the sacred cow of science. You know, it's not all it's cut out to be. A friend of mine, Alan Buckley, he's, he's a funny man as well as uh, being a clergyman. And he's no longer with us, but I love Alan. He was a creationist. And he was very simple from the pulpit. And his favourite quote was, they say cows come from dolphins and they make fun of my view. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I said this to my son Henry, he's, um, he's a real cynic at the moment. And he said, well, you know, um, I, I think about 97% of the DNA of chimpanzees we share with them. So yeah, but we also share 30% of the DNA of bananas. You know, so... <laughs> Hands up if I've said things there that chime with you, or maybe you're just a creationist, because you have a high view of God. Who's a creationist? I'm not trying to out people here. <laughs> Nobody agrees with that view? I'm nearer that one. Nearer that one. Good. Thank you. So in its favour, I hope you all have a high view of God. Please, God, let us have a high view of the one who made the universe out of nothing. It's an amazingly awesome statement. Uh, he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It's certainly possible for God to make the universe in six literal days. They also rightly question the science, because actually, believe it or not, that's what scientists are supposed to do. You test theories and you make new discoveries. You have hypotheses and see if they hold. Uh, who remembers doing, you know, what was it, um, sound as a wave? at school, and then they told you it was particles, now they tell you it's something else. You know, which bit are we supposed to believe? You know, whether you're doing GCSE or A-level or a degree. You know, so, the trouble with schools, and that influences the popular view of science, is actually, we're often maybe even 30 years behind the curve. We, we teach popular science. You know, so I remember doing theology in the 90s. And they were all about refuting the liberalism of the 60s. They were just behind the curve. And so I'm not, a, I am a scientist actually, I'm a chemist, but I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert on any of these things. There'll be stuff if you were an astrophysicist working at Jodrell Bank that you could tell us it would just blow our minds. Right, I'm not that guy. The danger for me with the creationist view is that it does scripture a disservice if we take it literally and make a nonsense of it. So I do believe we should take God's word seriously and that's important to us. Um, an example of that, when I um, was at ITC, the Infantry Training Centre in Patrick Garrison, uh, we used to run a thing called Battle Drills for Life where we invited the recruits to come along for food basically and uh, with the scripture reader and we would say, uh, we'd do a little video and then we'd ask them what questions they got. And we'd do a sort of Christian question and answer, uh, finish an hour later or whatever. They were really well attended, which is amazing. 
And the most frequent question, because they were trying to catch us out on this Christian view, was, Padre, what about the dinosaurs? And I always used to reply, I love dinosaurs. Okay. So, the third category is what I call the different category uh, approach. You may have heard me mention this last week if you were here. Theology is not in competition. Oh no, it's going to do a show of hands here, yeah, Theology is not in competition with science. It's about theos, it's about God. The study of God and understanding him and his world, our relationship to him and so on. It's important to understand why something's written. So the early chapters of Genesis, for instance, we could say contain religious truth, but not necessarily historical or scientific truth. They're kind of poetry. Um, Genesis 1 to 11 lifts our spirits to understand the creative nature of God and all that he has made. Anybody convinced by that? The category approach? <laughs> but more, right, now put your hands up, everyone who's not put their hand up now. <laughs> That's fine. Um, good. So, in favour of the different category approach is that there's no conflict between science and religion. Right? It's a good thing because they run in parallel with one each other, they have different aims and they complement our understanding. Right? The desire for us to learn more of God's truth isn't affected or knocked off course by the science or the latest discovery and so on. The danger is, whilst it's, it is okay to understand scripture in its context, we should do that, okay? It's a slippery slope if we divorce knowledge from belief, I think. Before you know it, it's true for you, that's fine, you can believe what you like, I'll believe something else, that's true for me. There's no such thing as absolute truth. You know, we can all believe what makes us feel happy and comfortable. It turns the Bible into Aesop's fables, basically. A book of moral lessons for life. And that is to undermine God's word to us. So, in favour, dangers, the confession. Right, I've deliberately phrased each of those. So you wouldn't really be able to vote for all of them, any one of them, in all its parts. Right? Because bits of each of them are true. Okay. I do believe God is sovereign, by the way. I do believe he can create the universe in six days. But this series, I suppose, is me saying what my views are. Uh, and that would be wrong of me to tell you you've got to believe that. Okay, so it's a very different approach to us just looking at the Bible together and saying, how does God speak to us? Uh, I hope I haven't confused you, but over the weeks I want us to hear God speak, but I want people to make up their own minds, perhaps be excited about finding out more about it, reading around the subject and so on, having those discussions over coffee. We'll see if it works. And um, if it's really bad, you can just stop me. Um, Alistair McGrath, I've, by the way, just the last plug, I've done a handout which I last did in August 2010 and um, I've really enjoyed starting to think about this subject again. But the reason I haven't worked on it since is I joined the army as a chaplain the following year. So it's been quite fun to sort of re-look re at it, but there is so much more that's been written since I did this series originally.
uh, Richard Dawkins and the God Delusion. Now my book uh, plugs, if you like, Alistair McGrath has done some very robust Christian responses. One of them, I love the title, is The Dawkins Delusion <laughs> instead of The God Delusion. Uh, he's done another one more recently, I think, about um, inventing the universe. And it just gives you all the different ethical, moral, uh, scriptural arguments as to what and why we should believe or how we can believe, so, you know, our approach to creation and evolution. So there's stuff out there if you want to read more about it. Let me finish with some words of scripture. The Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be written spoke hundreds of years later in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42 and verse 7. This is what the Lord God says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. The God who made the universe, of whom Genesis 1 verse 16 says in a throwaway line, he also made the stars. He is intimately interested in you and in me. And he calls us to turn to him in obedience and to live our lives for him. Let's marvel again at the majesty of God in these early chapters of Genesis, that his creative power, that his loving mercy, that his terrible judgment, and his life-giving hope, and above all, his great faithfulness to those who believe. Amen. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.